Chapter Twenty Two of Mister Trunnell, Mate of the Ship Pirate. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain and is read by Mark Smith of Simpsonville, South Carolina. Mister Trunnell, Mate of the Ship Pirate, by T. Jenkins Haynes, Chapter Twenty Two. While we ate, Jackwell expanded more and more under the influence of duff and beer. He leaned back in his chair and gazed at the mainmast. "'What makes the top of your mast so black, eh? Is it the smoke from the kettles, or have you been afire? Sink me, Harry, there couldn't have been any such luck as your old hooker afire and being put out, eh? Ha, 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 That would have been asking too much of the devil.' "'It's hollow.' said the old mate. "'What? Hollow? What the deuce is your mast hollow for?' "'Well, that is a question, isn't it, Mrs. Sackett?' said Henry. "'Perhaps he asks you sometimes what a smoke-pipe is hollow for, don't he? I never seen such a funny man. But he'll never get over it, I want to know.' "'Is it really hollow?' asked Jenny of the old mate. "'Yassum, it certainly is. Why, it's the smoke-pipe, you know,' was the reply. "'We have an engine in the lazarette that'll take us along more'n three knots in dead calm weather. It's been a lot of help, when the wind has been light and ahead, for picking up the boats. You know a whale always makes dead to windward, mostly, and if the wind is light and we've got to go a long ways, the poor devils would most starve waiting for us.' like they used to do in the old times. The lower mast is ironed. There's lots of them that way now. The soot makes the canvas black sometimes, but there ain't no sparks to speak of ever comes out of that top, as it's mostly blubber we burns. Jackwell became silent for several minutes, and then, as his eyes were still directed at the masthead, I looked again and noticed the topsail yard settled below the lower masthead. "'How do you suppose he keeps it up like that?' I asked Jackwell, trying to be civil. "'Keeps what up like that?' he said, in his old tone. "'The yard,' I answered shortly. "'Oh, mostly by force of habit, I reckon,' said he, nodding sarcastically at me and wrinkling his nose. "'That's it, ain't it, Henry? Your yards stay mastheaded mostly by force of habit, eh? They don't need no ropes.' I saw I was not forgotten, so afterward I kept quiet when he spoke. In a moment or two after this there was a wild yell from forward. This terminated into a deep bass roar, and we all jumped up to see what was the matter. The form of a man sat on the starboard cathead, and in his mouth was a horn of enormous size, the mouth being fully three feet across. Sway, Sway! he roared. Make way for the great king of the sea! I saw the fellow had on a long, rope-yarn beard and a wig to match, while a pair of black wings hung from his shoulders. While he called, creatures swarmed over the bows, men with beards and men without, some holding long spears and streamers, and some with three-pronged tridents, all having huge heads with grotesque faces and forked tails which hung down behind. "'Hooray for the king of the sea!' bawled the fellow through the horn, and then the motley crowd yelled in chorus, some blowing huge conch shells, and all making a most hideous racket. 
Jenny stopped her ears and gazed, laughing at the throng. She had been across the line before in some of the older ships with her father, and knew of the practice. Mrs. Sackett and Captain Henry cheered and waved their handkerchiefs, but Jackwell sat silently, looking on. Finally all of us went to the break of the poop, where we could get a better view, and just as we arrived a monstrous form came over the night-heads and stood forth on deck. The fellow had a beard fully a fathom long, and he stood nearly two fathoms high, his feet being hoof-shaped. Gigantic black canvas wings hung from his shoulders, and a huge wig of rope-yarn, with the hair falling to his waist, sat on his head. He was escorted unsteadily to a seat upon the trying-out furnace. "'All who have to worship the king, come forth and stand out!' yelled the man with the horn. This was greeted with cheers and blasts on the conch-shells. Some of our men, who had never been over before, and one of the boat's crew, confessed. He was quickly seized and brought before King Neptune. "'Sit you down right there in that there chair,' said the king, scowling fiercely. The fellow sat down and stared, smiling at the monster. "'Have you paid for coming across this here latitude, my son?' asked the king. "'No,' said the sailor. "'No what?' roared the king. The chair was placed on the edge of the main kettle, and the monster simply raised his hand to one of his retainers. This fellow tilted it up, sailor and all, into the smother of suds and water. Instantly there were roars of laughter as all hands watched the man trying to get clear of the slippery iron tank. Every time he would get a hold, his fingers would be wrapped sharply, and down he would go, floundering about. He was finally let off with a fine of a plug of tobacco, all his belongings save the clothes he had with him. Other men followed, for the whaler had a crew of thirty-five. Some were shaved with a barrel hoop for a razor, and tar for lather, being finally released for some tobacco. "'Come aft, O King!' bawled Henry, after the fun had grown fast and furious. "'Come aft, and get a donation from the ladies!' The great fellow was escorted unsteadily to the poop, where he saluted the women. "'Have you never paid toll to go to the other world yet?' asked the king. "'No,' said Jackwell, who was getting tired of the fun. "'I ain't never been across, and I ain't a-going to pay toll.' "'Shall he pay?' asked the king of Henry. "'Sure,' was Henry's response. Instantly the giant sprang upon the deck, getting clear of his stilts by some means or other. He seized Jackwell tightly around the body, and rushing to the rail sprang into the sea, his followers yelling themselves hoarse with delight. When they were hauled aboard, Jackwell was in a fury. I expected him to shoot the sailor who had the audacity to pitch him overboard, but he controlled himself. The incident, however, ended the fun aboard the brig, Henry, between fits of laughing, telling the mate to serve all hands with all the grog they wanted. "'Do not wait for me, madam,' said Jackwell to Mrs. Sackett. "'I shall not come aboard my ship in this condition. You get Mr. Rawling to take you and your daughter, and I'll follow, after Captain Henry has given me a new suit of clothes.' This appeared to be the best thing to do— as the brig's men were now getting boisterous with the grog, and our men were drinking also. The ladies were tired of the performance, 
although they had enjoyed some of it very much, and they were glad when I called away the boat's crew to take them back to the pirate. Jack will appeared at the rail as we started off. "'Rolling,' said he, "'tell Trunnell not to stay awake at night worrying about my health. This bath will not strike in and tickle me to death, as you might be agreeable enough to suppose.' "'Hurry and change your clothes, Captain,' cried Mrs. Sackett. "'Madam,' said he, with great solemnity, as the oars were dropped across, "'do not grieve for me. It will make me unhappy for the rest of my pious existence if you do. Fare thee well.' We were now on our way back to the ship, and he stood a moment, waved his hand, and then disappeared down the companionway. In ten minutes we were aboard again, and I met Chips in the waist, as I stopped to get a piece of tobacco. "'Well, what was it?' I asked. "'Faith, and I got caught,' said Chips, with a sickly grin. "'How was it?' I asked. "'Come, tell me, while Ford and Tom get the cushions out of the boat.' And I drew the carpenter into the door of the forward cabin, where Trunnell couldn't see us. "'Twas a fine thing you made me do, but no matter.' he began. "'You see, when you'd all started well on your way to the fisher, I thinks now is the time of me life. Trunnell was sittin' and smokin' on the wheel gratin', and all were as quiet as you please. I went below whistlin' to see him off his guard-like, and when I sees me way clear, I takes me chance at the after-cabin, and in I goes. I stop whistlin' when I makes the entry, and I steered straight for the chist for ins the captain's room. The door were open, and I see the chist were a little trunk of a thing, no bigger than a handbag, so to speak. Up on top of it were a pile of charts and things such as the rascals sung out to Trunnell not to touch. Twas a cute little thing to do, for how I could get into the outfit without a moving them struck me. I finally grabs the side of the trunk and tries to lift it. You may say I lie, but so help me, I could no more lift that little trunk than the ship herself. Gold! Why, could it have been anything but solid gold? I could lift that much lead easy. I stopped a minute and took out me knife. Me mind made up to try the lock. I gave one good look at it, and then I hears a sort of grunt. There were Trunnell looking right down at me from the top of the after-companion. Says he, And what may ye be a-doin' with the old man's trunk? Says he. Sure, tis me own, I thought it were, by the weight of it, said I. "'Is it so heavy, then?' says he. "'Faith, you try and lift it,' says I. He come down the ladder and took a hold, shutting the door to keep the steward from a-looking in. Then he takes hold of the thing and lifts it for the good of his soul. Nary an inch does it move. "'I would have opened it, but I heard the captain's order not to disturb the charts atop of it,' says I. "'You would, you thief,' said he. "'And if you had, inter irons would you go for the rascal you are. "'I never thought you were so bad, Chips,' said he. "'Tis a victim of discipline I am, for sure, then,' says I. "'You know I would no more steal the matter of a trunk than fly.' "'And who give you the order, you disciplinarian?' says he. "'Me conscience,' says I. "'You better go forwards and tell your conscience the fact "'that it's a bad one for an honest man to travel with,' said he. "'And tell him also to mind what I says about obeying orders aboard this here ship. "'If your conscience ever wants to command a ship, "'he don't want to forget that discipline is discipline. "'And when it comes to thievery, discipline will get you both in irons. 
"'Slant away, afore I loses my temper and sails into ye,' says he. "'So here I am, all in a mess with that little mate. But the trunk of gold is safe on a cabin floor.' I had nothing to say further than that the matter couldn't be helped. If the trunk was all right, we might land a fortune yet in the reward Jim had told us about. Jackwell must have made off with a snug little sum. I climbed over the side again with some of the skipper's clothes, and we started slowly back to the brig to get him. Ford was rowing bow-oar and Johnson aft, and both rowing easily made us go very slow. However, there was no hurry. Jackwell would in all probability take several drinks after his bath, and we would only have to wait aboard the whaler for him until he was ready. The sea was so smooth that the boat hardly rippled through it, and the sun was warm, making me somewhat drowsy. The two men rowed in silence for some time, and then Ford suddenly looked ahead to see how we were going. "'What's the matter with the bloomin' brig?' said he, rowing with his chin on his shoulder. I looked around, and it seemed as though we had already gone the full distance to her, and yet had as far again to go. The pirate was certainly half a mile away, and there was the brig, still far ahead. "'Give way, bullies,' I said. "'Break an oar or two. The men made a response to the order, and the boat went along livelier. I looked at the brig, and suddenly I noticed a thin trail of smoke coming from her main-top, where the opening in the lower masthead should be. We were now within fifty fathoms of her, when Jackwell came to the rail aft and looked at us. "'Give way, bullies, you're going to sleep,' I said. In a few moments we were close aboard, but as we came up, the brig slewed her stern toward us, and then I noticed for the first time that she was moving slowly through the water. There was no wind, and I knew in a moment that she was under steam. She drifted away faster, and the men had all they could do to keep up. Jackwell leaned over the taffrail and gazed calmly down at us. "'That's it, boys. Give it to her. You'll soon catch us and be towing us back again. Sink me, Rawling, but you're the biggest fool I ever saw.' he said. I saw the water rippling away from the brig's side, and now could see the disturbance under her stern, where a small wheel turned rapidly. "'Throw us a line!' I cried to Jackwell. "'What do you want a line for? Are you going with us to the Pacific, or are you just naturally short of lines, hey?' "'Throw us a line, or we'll have to quit!' I cried. "'The men can't keep up as it is.' Jackwell let down the end of the spanker-sheet, and Ford grabbed it, taking a turn around the thwart. The boat still rushed rapidly along. "'Rolling,' said the captain of the pirate, "'hadn't you better go home and tell Trunnell he wants you? Seems to me you'll have a long row back in the hot sun. I'd ask you all aboard, but this ship ain't mine. She belongs to a friend who owes me a little due, see?' Now be a sensible little fellow, Rolling, and go back nicely, or I'll have to do some target practice, or else cut this rope. Give my kindest regards to the ladies, especially Mrs. Sackett. Tell her that I wouldn't have dreamed of deserting her under any other circumstances, but this brig has got the devil in her and is running away with me. I can't stop her, and I can't say I would if I could. That infernal King Neptune has got hold of her keel and is pulling us along. Good-bye, Rolling. Don't by any possible means disturb the charts on my trunk. 
There, let go, you Ford! Ford cast the line adrift, and the boat's headway slacked. The brig drifted slowly ahead, going at least three knots through the smooth water. A long row of smiling faces showed over the rail as we came from under her stern. One fellow, waving his hand, cried out to report Bill Jones of Nantucket as being tolerable well, thank you. It was evident they knew nothing of Jackwell, and treated the going of the brig as a good joke on greenhorns. "'That beats me,' said Ford, panting from his last exertions. "'And me, too,' said Johnson. "'If we'd had Tom and one or two more aboard, we'd have beat her easy. But ain't he a-coming back at all, at all?' "'I hardly think we'll see Captain Thompson any more this voyage,' I answered savagely. "'But by the Lord Harry, he's left his trunk all right.'" End of chapter